church family, I invite you to open up in your Bible, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. The title of our message today is Finding the Real Treasure. Finding the Real Treasure. Matthew chapter 13. There's three verses there, verses 44, 45, and 46. I hear pages turning. I'll give you just a moment. Find that. Matthew thirteen forty four through 46. I'm going to read. You follow along in your copy of the Bible. This is the Word of God. Jesus is speaking. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. My kids love to find treasure. I don't know if you ever liked to find treasure when you were a kid. Maybe you still like to look for treasure. My kids love to find treasure. In fact, that's probably one of the reasons why part of my driveway is slowly and when it rains heavy, like it has done recently, quickly eroding away. It's because they like to find treasure. How do you find treasure? Well, you dig up the ground. Well, apparently all the treasure in our yard is located in our driveway. And so our driveway gets dug up on a regular basis. Now, if you're wondering whether or not they have ever found any treasure, the answer is It depends on who you ask. You see, if you ask them, the answer will be a resounding yes. If you ask me, the answer will be a resounding no. No treasure has been found. Why why, why is that? Why do we have two different answers? Well, it's because my kids, and on one hand, me on the other, we have two different value systems. We have two different value systems. They find something that's shiny, or colorful, or uniquely shaped, and it is automatically a treasure, right? It is valuable. But when they show me what they found, I see broken glass, pieces of pottery, broken shards of pottery, and gravel. That's what I see. Broken glass, shards of pottery, and gravel. And so I value it as worthless. Now, I know somebody's going to say, now you better let your kids... Uh, dig in the driveway. I do. I value them and what they're doing. But what they show me, it has it has no value to me. In fact, some of it's dangerous, and I have to throw it away when they're not looking. To them, it is worth getting out in the hot sun, middle of the summer, getting all dirty and sweaty to find this treasure. Me? Nope. I'll sit on the porch and watch them. Maybe go out there and kind of see what they're doing. But I'm not, you're not going to find me on a hot summer day in my driveway digging up broken pieces of glass and saying, look, I found a treasure. It's not worth it to me to spend my time and energy for something that really has no value. How my kids and I respond to this potential treasure is determined by, by our value system. They respond one way. I respond another way. They see treasure. I see trash. And that determines our response our willingness to pursue after that so-called treasure. 
Church family, Jesus taught a great deal when he was here on this earth about the kingdom of heaven. You read the Gospels, you see him speaking very often about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things he taught about the kingdom of heaven is this. Jesus' kingdom is a treasure worth forsaking all to gain. Jesus' kingdom is a treasure that is worth forsaking all. He's turning your back on everything else in order to gain. Much of Jesus' teaching was about this kingdom of heaven. The Jews, which he, were, he was mostly communicating with the Jews when he was here, they were waiting on the kingdom of heaven. They were waiting on God to send a Messiah who would drive out their enemies and set up, establish his kingdom. Of course, when a carpenter from Nazareth showed up and claimed to be the Messiah... When he told them that it was the poor in spirit and the persecuted who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. When he told them that unless their righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees, they would never enter the kingdom of heaven. When he told them that the way of the cross was the way into the kingdom of heaven. They, to put it mildly, started questioning all of their preconceived notions about this kingdom of heaven. But Jesus loved them, and he wanted them to, re, to, to, to value the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom, as the greatest treasure in all the world. He wanted them to rethink everything else that they thought was valuable here in this life. He wanted them to forsake their earthly value system, to turn their back on the value system that they had been operating under, and then to treasure that which was truly, truly valuable. And if they would do that, And if we will do that, they would, we will gain the greatest treasure of all. And that is the Savior King himself, the King of heaven, Jesus Christ. Here in Matthew 13, we have several recorded parables um, that Jesus told concerning his kingdom. If you glance your eyes through chapter 13, you'll see parable of sower casting seed on different types of soil. You'll see a parable where he com- Jesus compares his kingdom to a field that's full of wheat and weeds. Wheat and weeds. He compares his kingdom in chapter 13 to a mustard seed and to leaven and bread. He compares his kingdom to a net full of fish. And in the two parables we're looking at today, I'm just wetting your appetite with all of those. Maybe you'll go and read those later this week. because We're going to have time to look at all of those today. But they're all amazing. But today we're going to look at these two very short parables where he compares his kingdom to a treasure in a field and a pearl of great value. I want to share with you three actions that I think Jesus is calling people to through these two parables. Three actions that I think will lead us into the kingdom of heaven. Three actions which I think will help us ensure that we are finding the right treasure. Finding the right treasure in our lives. The first action is this. We need to recognize the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. We need to recognize the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. When I use the word supreme, I mean nothing is greater, nothing is more valuable. It holds the highest place, supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. In these parables, you're going to see this language used of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to interchange that with the language of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes you're going to hear me say Jesus' kingdom. Why? Well, because in light of the full revelation of God, we know that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just going to go ahead and connect the dots between Jesus and this kingdom that he is talking about. It is his kingdom. 
This is the king who is telling them these parables about the kingdom of heaven. God says in Psalm chapter 2, As for me, this is God, God the Father speaking, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then in the next verse in Psalm chapter 2, we learn that this king is the chosen son of God. God has set on the throne his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king, but to belong to Jesus' kingdom... The first step is recognizing the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. Friends, we'll never seek to possess that which we don't value. We don't value something. We're not going to go after it. We're not going to desire it. We're not going to want it. The man in the first parable found something in a field, and he recognized it as the treasure that it was. It may have been covered up with some dirt, probably. And as he brushed off that dirt, he recognized what this was. It was a treasure that had great value. The man in the second parable, he found a pearl, and he immediately recognized that it was a pearl of great value. The actions that followed all began with them recognizing the value of what they had laid their eyes upon. These men never would have gained this treasure or this pearl if they did not first recognize the value of these items. And, And I fear that sometimes... People have not stopped long enough to examine the kingdom of heaven and recognize its extreme value. Listen, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of everlasting life. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom where the curse of sin is eradicated. It's done away with. Sin is no more. Forever and ever. The kingdom of heaven is where God dwells with man. I mean, I mean, dwells with man. That's what Revelation says. Kingdom of heaven is the absence of pain and sorrow. The absence of of sin and guilt. The absence of, of sickness and death. It's gone. That stuff is no more. That's the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes the best way to see the value of something is to see what the opposite is. Right? Sometimes the, the, the best way to see how much this is, how valuable this is, is to see what you would be left with if you didn't have it. For instance, if I injured my arm really bad, the doctor might say, you need surgery. And it's going to be a long process, and it's going to be pretty expensive. And I might ask, you would probably ask, well, well, doc, what's the alternative? Right? And that, that's what we ask. What, what's the alternative to the, to the surgery that's going to take a long time, be pretty expensive? What's the alternative? Well, let's say that he answers with these words. Well, the alternative is you'll never be able to use your arm again. I'm probably not going to have to think too long and hard about that, right? The alternative proves the value of the other, right? That, that surgery all of a sudden got really valuable in my eyes when I see what the alternative is. Church, all around these two parables, if we look at it in the context, all around these two parables, Jesus has been giving the alternative to life in his kingdom. And I do want us to take just a moment to look at it because it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. In the parable of the sower, the alternative of the kingdom of heaven is pictured as being either snatched up by the devil, burned up by the sun, or choked out by the thorns. That's the alternative to the kingdom of heaven. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the weeds, which symbolize those who are outside of the kingdom of heaven, are bundled up and burned. 
And in his explanation, Jesus says this. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then if you look at the parable that comes right after the two parables that we're looking at today, the parable of the net, the bad fish, which represent those who don't belong to Jesus' kingdom, are separated from the righteous and they're thrown into, quote, the fiery furnace. In that place, Jesus says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, that's the alternative to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is rescue from that eternal punishment, from that eternal destruction. What happens if you fail to treasure the kingdom of heaven? Well, you'll be punished forever, Jesus says. But that's just the one side of its value. That's just the alternative. The kingdom of heaven is not merely valuable because of what it saves us from. The kingdom of heaven is also valuable because of what it saves us to. What it saves us to. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven get to, uh, look at verse 30, uh, 43, just one verse above the, the, where we started. What does it say about those who belong to the kingdom of heaven? They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You see the extreme opposites. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, shining like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Paul writes to the Ephesians that those who are in Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he says that we get to enjoy, those who are in the kingdom of God get to enjoy the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Eternal punishment, eternal grace, eternal destruction, eternal riches of Jesus. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, shining like the sun forever and ever and ever. We must recognize the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. That's the first step. And gaining entrance to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' kingdom. If we don't value it, we'll never even seek to gain it. But if you just think about it on those terms, right? If you think about the extremes, I was thinking about it and, and I thought, man, it's hard to believe that anyone would not seek after the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, why wouldn't everybody just be running after the kingdom of heaven? I think the answer is of the question, to the question of why in the world people would not chase after, seek after the kingdom of heaven is that the things of this world grab our attention, grab our affection, grab our devotion, and we begin to treasure earthly things. And we place such value upon them that it keeps us from treasuring Jesus and his kingdom, the things of this world, which we use to build our own little kingdoms here, then prevent us from seeking out Jesus and his heavenly kingdom. So the second action these parable, parables calls us to is this. It calls us to reevaluate the value of your own kingdom. They call you to reevaluate the value of your own kingdom. We want to we recognize the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom, and at the same time, we need to reevaluate the value that we place upon our own little kingdoms. I think it's easy to skip over this aspect of these fair parables. In fact, 
It's not really even mentioned, but I think it's very much implied here. What happens when the man finds the treasure in the field? Well, he covers it back up, right? He sells all that he has. He buys that field. What happens when the merchant finds the pearl of great value? He goes, sells everything he has, and then takes that and and buys that pearl. And we're going to talk about the selling part in just a minute. But what had to happen between finding the treasure and the pearl and selling everything that they had? What, what had to happen in between there? Well, they had to reevaluate the value that they placed on everything they already had. See, all of a sudden, when they're, when they're faced with the supreme value of the treasure and the pearl, all of their possessions didn't seem that value, valuable to them anymore. Whatever, whatever tight grip they had on the things of this world that they had been holding on to, as soon as they saw that treasure, as soon as they saw that, that pearl, all of a sudden that, loose, that, that grip began to loosen, right? They reevaluated how much they truly valued all of these things in light of the supreme value of that treasure and that pearl that they had found. You don't give up something of greater value to gain something of lesser value. No, you don't do that. You give up something of lesser value to gain something of greater value. Friend, we'll never, ever seek after the kingdom of heaven if we are overvaluing the stuff that we fill our own little earthly kingdoms with. You say, well, what do we fill our earthly kingdoms with? Oh, all sorts of things. All sorts of things. You can make a list. I've made a little kind of general list for us. Money and the stuff that money can buy. Accomplishments. Worldly accomplishments, hobbies, jobs, relationships. I mean, I'm just throwing out a few, a few ideas here. You could keep the list, list going on. But none, and none of those things, notice, none of those things are inherently bad. None of those things are in and of themselves wicked or evil. Some of those things are good things, even things that the Lord has blessed us with. They all have some sort of value, but the value of all of them together pale in comparison to gaining the kingdom of heaven. We're confronted with the kingdom of heaven. Our grip should loosen on the things of this life. We should reevaluate how much we value them. It's easy to sit in a church service and say how much we value the kingdom of heaven. That's easy. But how often... How often do we prove through the way that we live our lives, the way that we spend our money, the way that we spend our time, the way we strive after pleasing people, the way we prioritize relationships with others over a relationship with God, the way we prioritize a life of ease and comfort, how often do we prove through, through the way we devote ourselves to building our own little kingdoms where we get to rule as our kings and queens? How often do we prove that we actually value the things of this world more than we value Jesus and his eternal kingdom? Kingdom of heaven. See, there's a big obstacle standing in the way of sinful people placing supreme value on Jesus' kingdom. And that obstacle is the value that we place on our own little kingdoms here on this earth. Filled with all the pleasures and treasures that this this world can provide. Church, we cannot treasure Jesus as supreme when we are treasuring something other than Jesus as supreme. It just doesn't work. There's not place for two people on the throne of our hearts. 
either we're treasuring Jesus or we're treasuring something else. If we're treasuring something else, we'll never be able to treasure Jesus. And so we've got to recognize the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom and at the same time reevaluate the value of our own kingdom. So that at the same time, there's this, there's this yearning for and this letting go. <laughs> this yearning for the Lord and the things of Him and this letting go of the things of this world. But there's one more thing. See, interest into the kingdom of heaven is not just intellectual assent. It's not just, oh yeah, I value this over this. There has to be this third action that I think this passage calls us to. We've got to act on this new value system. We can't just say, yeah, I value Jesus more than everything else in this life. We have to act upon it. The third action I think this passage calls us to is this. Cause us to reject all you once treasured to gain the real treasure. Reject all you once treasured to gain the real treasure. You know who that treasure is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus and his kingdom. We, 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 we recognize the supreme value of Jesus and his kingdom. We reevaluate everything that we once thought was valuable. And then we reject all that we once thought was valuable in order to gain Christ in his kingdom, the real treasure. The men in these parables did not acquire the treasure and the pearl simply because they valued them. If they had just walked away and said, wow, I found a pearl of great value. Wow, I found a treasure that was worth more than anything that I, I've ever seen before. And they just, they just said that. Well, they never would have gained it. It never would have been theirs. What did they do? Well, they didn't just sit there. They actually traded in all they had to gain that which was of supreme value. In a very real way, they rejected everything they had for the sake of owning this treasure and pearl. It cost them. It cost them everything that had worked, they had worked for up to that point. But it was okay. It was worth it because what they gained was of surpassing worth. Now, don't misunderstand this point, okay? This talk of action and, and having to do something to gain entrance into the kingdom of, of God. Listen, we, we, the point here is not that we have to buy our way into the kingdom of God. That, that would be misreading Jesus' point here in this parable. The point is not that we have to do some certain actions that are actually going to earn us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We don't actually get into the kingdom of heaven based on our own effort. These actions that I think Jesus is calling us to through these parables is actually an admission. These actions of, of valuing Jesus, not valuing the things that we once valued, and then forsaking all to follow him, is actually an admission that we need something more than we already have. It's actually an admission. That we need something more than what we already have. And what we need is that great treasure. What we need is Jesus and what he can do for us. Because we cannot save ourselves. Jesus knew the people he was talking with could never purchase their own salvation. And that's why he had come. He didn't just come to tell them that his kingdom was to be treasured above all. He came to die so that their hearts could be changed and so that by his amazing grace, their grip 
would be loosened upon the things of this world so that their hearts could be changed, so that they could recognize the, the supreme value of Jesus and pursue after him and treasure him. That's why he came. He came to do what they could never do for themselves. He came to do what we can never do for ourselves. He came to pay the price for our sinful grasping of the things of this world. And he paid that price through his death on the cross. He came to make a way for sinners to be counted righteous so that we could gain entrance into his eternal kingdom. The way that you gain Jesus is by rejecting everything else you might be hoping in and placing your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin. But then we come back to the point of the parable. We're never going to ask him to save us if we value our earthly kingdoms over his kingdom. We're never confronted with the beauty of his kingdom and the ugliness of the kingdoms that we build for ourselves. We'll never bow in submission to him as our king if we value our kingship over his. We'll never give every area of our lives over to him and to his kingdom purposes so long as we value our earthly pursuits greater than the mission of his kingdom. Let me give you two examples from Scripture. I want to give you two examples from Scripture. One's a good example. One's a bad example. You do know not all the examples in Scripture are good, right? (laughs) There's a lot of bad examples. But there's also some good ones. I want to give you two examples, a good one and a bad one. These examples are two men. Both of these were men of standing in this world. Both of these men had certain things which provided them with a a personal kingdom which would have been envied by those around them. One of these personal kingdoms consisted more of earthly wealth. The other personal kingdom consisted more of earthly accomplishments. But both kingdoms were personal, earthly kingdoms which were standing in the way of these men gaining the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't know the name of the first man. Scripture simply, simply calls him the rich young man. And he came to Jesus asking how he could gain entrance into God's kingdom. How he could gain eternal life. Jesus told him to go and sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. That's what Jesus said. In other words, this man needed to reevaluate the value that he placed on his personal earthly kingdom, his earthly wealth, and he needed needed to... begin to place supreme value upon Jesus where he would forsake all to follow Christ. Now, the other man was building an earthly kingdom, not necessarily of great wealth, but of great accomplishments in the eyes of others. He received first-class training as a student. He excelled in his field of study. He was a leader and was respected by his colleagues. His family pedigree was perfect in the eyes of the world. And his accomplishments gave him a hefty resume. If you were to set his resume down on your desk, it would thump. It was thick. It was a big resume. He too met Jesus, like the rich man. And he too had to reevaluate the value of his earthly kingdom of accomplishments in light of the supreme value of Jesus' kingdom. Well, the first man, the rich young man, he chose to keep his earthly kingdom of wealth. He didn't value Jesus as supreme. He did not reevaluate his earthly treasures in light of the kingdom of Jesus. And so he held on to his stuff. And as a result, he rejected the kingdom of heaven. Scripture says that he went away sorrowful 
Unfortunately, that which he placed a high value upon, the things of this world, left him unsatisfied, empty, sorrowful, sad. What about the second man? What about the man who had lots of earthly accomplishments? He placed a a high value on these earthly accomplishments. He was hoping in these earthly accomplishments to gain him entrance into the kingdom of God. What happened when he uncovered the treasure of Jesus? What happened when he was confronted with this pearl of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to let him tell you in his own words. He said this, though I myself, think about this, this thick resume, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Now listen to him giving us all he once treasured. I want you to notice what happens as he uncovers the treasure of Jesus. I love this. But... Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss because of Christ, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's what he was holding on to. Not having that, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That's letting go of what he was trusting in and trusting, placing his hope in Jesus. That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. These were the Apostle Paul's words to the church at Philippi. Paul recognized the supreme value of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. He reevaluated all he once treasured as he was trying to build his own little personal kingdom of his own earthly accomplishments. And he did what the rich young man did not. He rejected all he once held dear in order to gain the real treasure. And that was Jesus. What was the result of their response? Well, we've seen the result of the young rich man. He walked away sad. He walked away sad as king of his personal kingdom. Paul, on the other hand, lived a life of joy in the midst of great temporary suffering. And he will live forever where there is no more suffering because he submitted his life to the true king whose kingdom has supreme value. Church, God's kingdom is for those who treasure Jesus above all. It's not for those who simply add Jesus to their weekly to-do list. It's not for those who simply give Jesus a couple of hours on their calendar each week. It's not for those who simply give Jesus an equal spot along with their other likes and interests and hobbies. It's not for those who try to hold on to him while never letting go of the pleasures of this world. It's not for those who simply want Jesus to come in and be a little part of their own earthly kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is for those who treasure the kingdom of heaven and therefore the king of the kingdom of heaven more than anything or anyone else in all of the world. And here's the good news. The good news is that even though we have all failed 
to treasure Jesus the way that he deserves to be treasured. He is a gracious king. And he has provided for our salvation through his death on the cross to save us from our failure to make him the treasure of our lives. And his grace can come in and it can grab a hold of us and it can completely turn upside down our value system so that what we once thought wasn't that desirable now is so desirable. And what we once thought was so desirable now begins to lose its shine, its glimmer. And he did all of that through his death in our place. If you've never believed in Jesus for salvation, you need to do so. You need to do so today. Today. Will you treasure Jesus today and receive him by rejecting whatever it is that you're trusting in as your hope? And listen, church. If you have believed in Jesus for salvation, if he has come into your life and, and has done that great work, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But are you treasuring him above all in every area of your life? Are you daily, daily rejecting the things of this world that would want to come in and grab a hold of our affection and our devotion and our worship? Instead, are you saying yes day by day, moment by moment to the way of Jesus because His is the way of true treasure? It's okay to seek after treasure. That's a good thing, actually. I hope we all are looking for treasure in our lives. But make sure you remember this. Jesus' kingdom and His kingdom alone is a treasure, the only treasure that is worth forsaking all to gain. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for helping us, for, for, for opening our eyes, our blind eyes, our deaf ears, our, our hard hearts to see the things that we often hold on to have no value no lasting value. No value in rescuing us from our sin and providing us with righteousness in Your sight. We thank You for helping us see Jesus who is supreme over all. And God, it's easy to say that here in this place. But God, I pray that we would live that way every day. The way that as husbands, we love our wives. The way that wives love their husbands. The way that parents love their children and parent them. The way that we love one another in the body of Christ. The way we interact with the, the world around us, with the lost around us, with people who we disagree with, with people who maybe we don't always get along with, or, or people that we see, dif see, see the world differently than they do. God, with, with people that are close to us and people that are far from us, with everyone, Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that others can see very clearly that we treasure Jesus more than anything. God, we need your help to do that. And so we come to you asking for your help. Fix our eyes upon Jesus, Lord. It's in his name that we pray.